Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's the goal of the Res Talk podcast to communicate some late breaking news and thoughtful insights to the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear more about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. This is a part of ResNet's effort to engage with the community. In this episode, we're going to speak with Ryan Mears. He's the program director at ResNet about his experiences at the recent committee action hearings of the IECC, that's the International Energy Conservation Code. Now, there are 37 proposals are identified by the ResNet board to review, of course, Ryan helped prepare those review items, and he tracked 13 priority proposals during the spring 2019 hearings. And we'll learn a little bit more about how the code development process happens, and including the committee action hearings, which are followed by the public comment hearings. Ryan will describe the proposals that ResNet focused on, both from the point of support and opposition. So let's listen in as Ryan Mears talks to us about the IECC committee action hearings this spring 2019. How are you doing today, Ryan? Good. It's good to be back, Bill. Great. Good to hear your voice. Always clear. You're really clear. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's probably why we're talking today is because you hopefully can bring some clarity to this topic about the code hearings. So when did this take place? When did this all happen? So the code hearing started at the end of April, the last week of April, and went into the first week of May in Albuquerque, New Mexico. A good location for uh, an event that is Exciting only for code geeks and building science enthusiasts, but it is a windowless room and it is does start at 8 a.m. every morning and go until at least 7 p.m. every night. So it's straining. Wow. It's kind of like the casinos, the windowless room, no lights, anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Anything to keep you inside. And so there's code gambling going in there, perhaps. I'm not sure. But so how big an event is this? How many people do come to this? There's a few hundred there. I'll estimate probably in the residential energy code hearings there, it fluctuated between uh, 150 to say two or 250. So there's multiple things going on, different rooms, different sessions, is that kind of thing? Yeah, there's a number of different hearings happening. So this, I was attending the Residential Energy Code Committee hearings. There's also Residential Building Code hearings that are going on. And then beyond that, there's also the Commercial Energy hearings and a couple of others. Okay. And you were there representing ResNet's interest at that session? That's right. Yeah. Yep. So ResNet did put some proposals in to the IECC for consideration. And I was there to represent those proposals and also more generally to speak about proposals related to the ERI path and ResNet standards. And often found myself up there just clarifying what some of the confusion was, especially as it relates to ResNet software and HERS raters and things like that. So how many proposals did ResNet bring forth and how does that happen? How does that actually take place? Yeah. So in terms of the ResNet sponsored proposals, we get feedback from raters, we get feedback from board members, and then I get feedback from oftentimes we'll get calls from code officials that are unsure about certain things as it relates to the energy rating index compliance path. And so based on those interactions and feedback from our members and board members, we develop proposals that we think are relevant, that will improve the code 
And so then I'm the one who develops the proposals, and then the board actually votes on whether or not they'd like ResNet to formally support that proposal. So not all the proposals that are developed are going to get the blessing of the board. And if they don't, then they'll just get put back and maybe brought up another code cycle. About how many proposals were brought forward? Or do In total, in terms of proposals, I think there was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 300 proposals for the residential energy code. And once those were published, I went through and pulled out the ones that I felt like ResNet should pay attention to. And there was 37 of those that I identified. And then ultimately those proposals, I drafted a summary of all those proposals and it went to the ResNet board for a vote. And the board members were able to say whether, yes, they felt like we should support it. Yes, we should oppose it or they were neutral on it. And this is again for the 2021 cycle or issue edition of the energy code? This work will be what goes into the 2021 version of the IECC. Yep. Tell us about the um, proposals that were supported by ResNet or that you supported on behalf of ResNet. Yeah. So in, in general, ResNet, we support proposals that reference our standards. So standard 301 or standard 380 for duct and envelope leakage testing. Generally, we're looking at proposals that either referenced our standards or proposals that were related to the energy rating index path. And we certainly wanted to oppose any proposals that attempted to change the ERI path in a way that we felt was negative. So in other words, uh, perhaps a proposal that was put forward to change ventilation rates or a proposal that would change the way that the ERI in the code is calculated. So the ERI path references our standard 301. And so anytime a code amendment changes anything in that standard, it makes a HERS rating uh, HERS index score and an ERI score different. And we feel like the further that those two things diverge, the, the less likely it's going to be that HERS ratings are going to get used for code compliance. Got it. So you got to make sure they stay on a parallel paths. Can you talk about any of the specifics of the proposals are supported? Anyone you want to highlight? Yeah. yeah. So I'll bring up an early success, and that was the approval but this is by a different committee, actually. It's the administrative committee. And they did approve the update to standards 301 and standard 380. What that will do is update both of those standards to the 2019 versions, which were just published. So that was an early success. It still has to go through the public comment hearing. So the, the committee hearings are the first step. And once the committee either approves or disapproves every proposal that they hear, and then everything is subject to public comment. If your proposal gets disapproved, you can still bring it back with a public comment, but you do have to get a two-thirds majority to override the committee decision, which is difficult to get. So it's much easier if you get a proposal approved, you only need a simple majority for it to get into the code. That update was one of our early successes and the first one. Was there anything would you consider more of a defeat or not a success? Yeah, probably our biggest defeat was uh, a proposal that we put forward, probably our priority proposal. And in the 2018 code, the ERI path was changed to revise the ventilation rates for the reference home. And by doing this, it actually raises the ERI scores by anywhere from two to 10 points. So we saw that as a negative. And as I mentioned earlier, anything that starts to change the HERS score versus an ERI score, we try to defeat. Unfortunately, 
our proposal to delete that provision was not approved and a separate proposal which did delete the provision but then it added in essentially better language which did the same thing so ultimately if we're not successful in getting that defeated at the public comment hearings then the, the eri ventilation rates will be different than what the hers index uses for ventilation rates and when does the public hearing happen or how does that happen? Yeah. So the public comment hearings, there will be a public comment window and I think it's around July. That public comment period, anyone can submit public comments on the proposals on the committee decisions. And then the actual hearings themselves happen in October, near the end of October this year, they are in Las Vegas. So that's when you have an opportunity to get your proposal back, but all of the voting actually now happens online through an online consensus vote. And the people that vote for the final proposals, the final changes that go into the new code are actually the ICC members. And the majority of their members are going to be local code officials, but also state code officials as well as fire officials. And so there's like more governmental type employees. Yeah. So just a question here. Do you think they have a deep understanding or is that really your role is to bring forth and clarify to help them understand? Because some of these issues pretty get, get pretty far in the weeds. Yeah, they do. They get very far in the weeds. And it's that's one of the difficulties in getting a proposal approved by the committee is that you bring forth these proposals and you can write a fairly compelling reason statement for why the proposal should be approved. But it's an 11-member committee and they are tasked with reviewing 300 plus proposals. So their time is limited as well as volunteers for the committee. So when you go up there to actually, when a proposal's called, if you want to support that proposal, you have two minutes to speak in support of your proposal. <laughs> so as you can imagine, there's not a lot of time to get into the real details. Every person that wants to speak in support has two minutes and you can't repeat any testimony. So anyone that goes behind you can't say the same thing or make the same point that you did. The moderators will get pretty grumpy about that. And then anyone who wants to speak in opposition to that proposal has two minutes. And then you also have a rebuttal. And it's a one-minute rebuttal in support and one-minute rebuttal in opposition. And that's it. And some of those, depending on how many people want to speak, some of these code changes would drag on for a full hour just to get through one code change because there's so many people that want to speak in support or opposition. Are you allowed to bring any kind of illustrative graphics or anything? Because we're talking about energy or air in all these cases and all those things are invisible. Yeah, you can. You can include them in as part of your reason statement for the code change. You could hold something up for the committee to view, but it'd have to be pretty large. There's a bit of a distance between the microphones and where the committee sits up on the stage. So are there any surprises that came out of this, something that was unexpected? The biggest one, and actually one that I was not there for, was RE17. It was very early. I didn't get into Albuquerque until the second day of the hearings. And so RE17 was one of the early proposals. And what it does is put a new compliance path into the code. If it gets approved after the public comment hearings, it will be a, an additional compliance path in the code. And basically what it is, is based on BTU targets for both heating and cooling loads in each climate zone. So the proposal has uh, lists all the climate zones. And then for heating, you could not exceed the BTUs for that in your 
sizing and for cooling the same thing you could not exceed the btu's target in sizing your cooling system and then it does have a envelope leakage requirement and also a duct leakage requirement but it essentially brings a new path into the code that's the premise of it is to provide a lot more flexibility but i'm a bit concerned on the implementation side of how that's going to look as you may know that hvac contractors struggle with doing accurate manual J load calculations, and potentially they could be using those to demonstrate compliance with this path. And I've been involved with some manual J training years ago, and I know that it's something that they struggle with. And from a code official perspective, they often are not sure exactly what they're looking at when they read those load calculations. So there is some concern about how that might be implemented. And we're kind of, at at this point, ResNet is reviewing that proposal in detail and seeking some feedback from our HERS raters and board members to see what position we should take in public comment. So that kind of proposal, like who would make that kind of proposal? That particular proposal came from a code official through the Colorado chapter of ICC. And it was brought forth during the 2018 code hearings for the 2018 version of the IECC. It was disapproved at that time, but this time they brought in the right guns in support of it, and it did make it through. I think that that was one that was on our radar. It was one of those 37 proposals I mentioned that I pulled out from the 300. And the board ultimately said, yeah, because there was so much testimony in opposition to that proposal and during the 2018 cycle, they felt like most likely there's going to be a lot of other opposition. And I think, unfortunately, many other organizations that would have opposed it also thought the same thing. And there wasn't a lot of opposition, and ultimately the committee did vote to approve it. And any sort of favorite ones, others that kind of come to mind, things where you thought, yeah, the right thing happened here? Yeah. The easiest one was updating uh, standard 380, getting standard 380 actually as the reference for duct leakage testing. During the 2018 cycle, this same proposal came forward, but it didn't include a reference to a second standard. So we revised the proposal for this cycle and we reference ResNet standard 380 or an ASTM standard that could be used for duct leakage. And the primary opposition to it during the last code cycle was that it was only one standard and it was, the opposition was, well, isn't there another standard? And there was. And so we've referenced both of those standards now and that proposal received no opposition at all. So that was the smoothest and easiest proposal but glad it got through. So now standard 380 is referenced both for envelope leakage testing and for duct leakage testing. And prior to that, there was no standard referenced for duct leakage testing. So what's the importance to listeners? I mean, I'm assuming a lot of listeners are builders or raiders. What's the importance of all this work that you're doing, the committee, the action hearings you're going to? How does it affect them? Yeah. So especially for HERS raiders, what we're seeing, and a good segue from standard 380 and talking about duct and envelope leakage testing being in the code, there's been this progression over several cycles where first there was a requirement for envelope leakage testing and then a requirement for duct leakage testing. And then we have a standard. So eventually the standard got put in to do that. And what all that means is HERS raiders are becoming more and more involved in the code compliance process. That's really what the importance is, is that what ResNet's working on here is a lot of things that impact HERS raters. And we certainly believe strongly that HERS raters should be involved in the code compliance process. Ultimately, in achieving compliance with the energy code, 
Raiders are looked at more frequently as the go-to for understanding the code, for doing compliance with the performance path, for doing compliance with the ERI, and then for doing your duct and envelope leakage testing. And there were a few proposals that wanted to introduce some ventilation testing that ultimately didn't make it in. But I would expect that probably in the next code cycle, those proposals will be in. And all of these things are going more and more to raters getting involved in code compliance and not just doing ratings. That's really good. The next step is the public comment period, public comment hearings, and then the vote. That's right. So we're going to be reviewing all of the committee decisions on the code changes, looking at what ResNet should prioritize for the public comments. And we will be working with not only our board members and a number of raters that are involved in the process also, but we also work with other stakeholders in the code process. It's important especially at the public comment hearings, to come in with a proposal that you already know has support from certain industry groups so that they're not going to just stand up and oppose everything that you're trying to do. So there's a lot of work that has to be done in the background that goes into the public comment hearings to ensure that there's some success there. Because that's the last bite of the apple is the public comment hearings. And then you wait another three years after that if you want to get something into the code. Gotcha. We've spoken mostly about residential. Is there anything happening in commercial or multifamily at the event? There was. There was. I did not stay for the entire commercial. So the residential was five days of hearings. The commercial lasted another five days. But there was very little that was of interest to ResNet for the commercial side. But there was one that does allow for multifamily envelope leakage testing to be based on envelope area instead of volume, which I think was generally accepted as a success. And because once you start getting to these, especially in multifamily, you get smaller and smaller units, it's difficult to achieve that air leakage rate. So it introduces, I think, what's accepted as industry practice into the code so it can be used for compliance as well. And it makes sense too, from a physics standpoint, I think at least a big blush, first blush. Yeah, it does. So we covered a lot of topics on, on this hearing. It was, it was a lot of intense work, I'm sure, on your standpoint, and then a lot of work beforehand, a lot of work afterwards, a lot of work reporting, and in a way, lobbying in between times to make sure that the best interests are represented. Any closing thoughts? In reality, there was no real big changes. I think what I mentioned is RE17, if that ends up getting approved and would introduce a new compliance path, I mean, that is a big change. And ResNet certainly said the same thing when the ERI path made it into the 2015 code. Overall, though, I think the committee played it fairly safe. It was a good committee. They definitely knew what they were doing, knew what they were talking about. They asked good questions. They asked tough questions sometimes, and they were good. But what it boils down to is there's no really big changes, but I think what will come out of it is a code that's better, that that clarifies a lot of things around like documentation and those gray areas in the code. There's always a number of proposals that try to clean up bad language and fix those areas that are kind of open to interpretation. So there's going to be a better code, I think, at this point. Unfortunately, the ERI path may end up being very similar to the 2018 code, which makes the HERS index and the ERI score not the same. That's unfortunate, but we move on to Las Vegas in October for the public comment hearings, and I will be there to testify in support or opposition to what our board identifies as our priorities. I'm sure you got a lot of work to do between now and then. Yeah, yeah, there is. 
any places anyone can kind of keep up with this information that we covered in sort of a broad brush detail? Are there any links or publications or newsletters that'll cover these topics for those that are interested? So we'll have a blog post that accompanies this podcast that will be posted on the Res blog on our website. Go to resnet.us and click on the Res blog link. You can read that. But other than that, we don't have a lot of, because this the code development process is so fluid, we don't have a lot of information on our website about it. So if anyone is interested in staying up to date on what we're doing, they should email me, ryan at resnet.us, and I can keep them on an interested parties list and keep them updated on what we're doing. Perfect. Thank you for coming on ResTalk and discussing this important matter and for offering your email address and correspondence to keep people up to date for those that are interested. Yeah, definitely. This has been good. Hopefully we were able to uh, distill some complex information down into something that's understandable. Isn't that what life is all about, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Ryan. And thank you everyone for listening to the Res Talk podcast. Please subscribe or rate us on iTunes. That always does great things for the Res Talk podcast. Take care, everyone. Well, thank you for listening to this episode where we spoke with Ryan, Ryan Mears, about the ICC committee action hearings. Ryan did mention a link if you want to copy that down, resnet.us forward slash blog, where you can see some details in the blog post that he gives on this fascinating topic. And if you want to receive email updates on Ryan's work with the codes, you can email him at ryan at resnet.us. Here's a quote for the day. It's by Brad Gray. I learned no detail was too small. It was all about the details. Ryan does a fantastic job covering these very mind-bending details in terms of code compliance and alignment with the ResNet standards and incorporation of ResNet standards. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. If you've not subscribed or rated us on iTunes, please do so. As always, I want to thank you for listening to ResTalk. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on Res Talk. <laughs>